The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Our sermon lesson for the second Sunday after Epiphany is found in Ephesians chapter 3 and if you're with me here at church, you can I'd like you to keep your sheets in front of you here today because I'm going to work kind of a, a little bit at a time through these verses here this morning with you. And if you're with us here at home and, and you're taking this in on Zoom or Facebook Live, you might want to just get a, open up your Bible and so you can have that out in front of you. I'm going to read it to you now and then we'll, we'll push into these verses here today. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do ever immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. The kneeling at the beginning of these verses should be a dead giveaway. The very fact that, that he folded his body in two and put his knees on the cold, hard ground should be evidence that, that what comes next goes to the extreme. I mean, can, can you picture him there in his, in his jail cell as he is astounded by the presence of God, and as he thinks about what he's going to pray next, he is pushed into the kneeling position. Now, I can only think of a few times in my life where I have been pushed onto my knee. Normally, we are called to stand on our own two feet. But there are times in our life where we're so spiritually overwhelmed, you might say, that the only thing that you can do is get on your knees. I can think of a few times in my life where I got down on my knees once. I got down on a knee to ask a woman to marry me. And it was appropriate because she is so far superior to me in every way. There are other times where spiritually 
I've gotten down on my knees because the pain and the despair was so high and so far and so deep that the only thing that made sense was to get down on my knees and say, God. But then there's those moments of exaltation too. Like, you know the World Cup soccer player who's just won the championship and he's running down the line because he's scored the goal winning, the, the, the winning goal. And the only thing that makes sense to him in that moment is then to get on his knees, isn't it? And to look to heaven. And that's Paul here. He is an absolute spiritual rapture. And it drives him to his knees and he says, I'm kneeling before the Father. And if the kneeling is a dead giveaway, then the prayer itself overwhelms us. You know, when I thought about preaching on this prayer, I became, in a sense, absolutely overwhelmed. Like, how can I, how can I, as a poor pastor, bring to these people this incredible, overwhelming prayer? Every word, you might say, in this prayer has worlds in it. And, and every little phrase in there is like this, this mountaintop experience. And when you pray with Paul, this, this one sentence, it's like going around the world and back in about 30 seconds. And so the very best that I can do this morning it, it is to sort of like to, to reduce the prayer. To, to ignore the precious phrases and the worlds inside each little word and try to, try to boil it down so that, that you can take something home with you. And in, and in a sense, it's very easy to do that. Like I, I could point out to you that the three main petitions in the prayer... I, I could tell you that, that if you get rid of all the precious phrases and the words and you just focus on what he's really trying to get across, that there's three main objectives that he has for you. But doing that, in a sense, would be like, would be like taking this, you know, on Sunday morning where you get out that, that Colombian coffee. And if you're a coffee drinker, you take a deep breath. It would be like taking that beautiful aromatic cup of coffee and boiling it all the way down until all you have left is the stain at the bottom of the cup and then all of a sudden you're preaching the stain. That's all I can hope to do is to preach the stain at the bottom of the cup. That's all, that's all I really feel capable of this morning. And so I want to point, to you what, point out to you a little bit about the stain. Paul, in his first petition, is, is asking for power. You see that in already in, in verse 16 and 17, he's asking for power. And, and it's not just sort of this worldly power where you would actually have power over others for the sake of yourself. It's power so that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Now you got to think about that power. Like why 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 do we need power so that Christ 
can dwell in our hearts. And those of you who are about 40 and up are going to get this. The only way I, that I can really explain this is you remember those old computers back in the day where it was DOS and it had the C prompt. And you would have these programs on, on these little floppy disks and you'd put them into the computer and then the computer would go, remember the noise it would make? And then sometimes the computer would freeze up. It didn't have enough computing power. And that's us, see. That's us. We, we, we're like that really old computer, and God's trying to, to slide that disk with the divine program on it, and we're trying to read it, see? We're trying to read it, and we're trying to get all that God is doing in our lives, and we're like, it just freezes up. And so Paul's first petition is that you would have the spiritual computing power so that not all the things that are going on in the world would dwell in your heart or all of the fears and, and despair about all the sins of other people would dwell in your heart, but that Christ would dwell in your heart. That's Paul's first petition for you. His second petition is builds on the first. Like he first, he's asking for power for you. The second petition, he asks for knowledge. But again, it's not like it's not like any kind of knowledge that you would go and get at a college or a university somewhere at, a, at Zoom school. That's what we're doing these days. It's knowledge that you would know how high. It'd be like this, I guess. And how long and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ for you? In other words, that, that, that you would kind of have an, a 4D, not 3D, a 4D experience of God's love for you in Christ. That, that you would get that, that, that Jesus, you know, He stretched out His right hand. And then He stretched out His left hand. And then he stretched out his right foot and his left foot and he gave his life for you, a poor sinner. That you would get that. That you would, you would truly get that in all of the 4D experience because normally we perceive things in a 3D experience. You know that, right? But Paul wants a 4D experience of Christ's love for you. Even more than that, he, he, he completes the second petition for you with an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? It's like, it's like paradox wrapped into one. And so the way that he ends the petition is with an oxymoron. He says he wants you to know what is unknowable. He wants you to know the love of God that you can't even possibly know. That's the second petition for you. So he asks for power for you. He asks for knowledge, a special kind of knowledge of the love of Christ for you. And then the third petition is he asks for fullness. True spiritual fulfillment in God. 
to the fullest measure. Now, I was trying to, I was trying to think about how to explain this to you this morning, and the only, the only comparison that I can give to you that, that, that would maybe even come close to understand this, this kind of spiritual fulfillment is, is a physical fulfillment. So I want you to think about Thanksgiving Day for just a second, where, where in front of you is, is this delicious meal, and, and there's olives, and there's mashed potatoes and gravy, and there is, there is turkey, and there is sauerkraut, and then to top it all off is this, this delicious glass of wine. And by the time that you're done eating, you're like totally, totally fulfilled. I can't, I can't eat anymore. This is, this is enough. And then you spend the rest of the day watching like the lions lose on TV again. And you think to yourself, wow, God is good. This is really good. You're spiritually fulfilled. You're, or, or you're physically fulfilled. Now I want you to take that into the spiritual realm where, where, where you are beginning to, to have the computing power to have Christ dwell in your heart and, and you're beginning to have the beginning of knowledge about how much God loves for you in Christ and you're seeing all of the blessings that Father is pouring out into your life. Peace and forgiveness and hope and a future. And I could go on and on and you're like, stop already! That's what you're saying. You're like, you're like Stop already, because that's enough for me. I'm full. And if I was honest, I was, I'm totally overwhelmed by it. That's spiritual fulfillment. But, but by saying all of that, like I just did, I've, I've only preached the stain at the bottom of the cup, or I've taken like, I've taken like a fire hose that's spraying water, the water of God's grace everywhere, and I've turned it into a trickle. And all I've done for you is, is like taken a thimble and, a, and I've ladled it out for you into a, a glass of spiritual water just a little bit out of the ocean of God's grace. It's, it's too much for us to even imagine. And yet, for God, it's too little. I, I actually find a, a little more than a little bit ironic that, that the Apostle Paul immediately, when, when he finishes praying and he thinks, starts to think about who God is, that he throws this magnificent prayer under the bus. Because the next thing that he says is he says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, so in other words, we've just asked God with the Apostle Paul, God, Father, give me power. And, and God, give me knowledge. And God, give me true spiritual fulfillment to, to a measure that can only be called divine. And then he says, God's going to do even more than that. He's truly able, he says. In fact, what he, he goes even further than that. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, all we ask or even imagine, kind of points to a brokenness in our imagination, doesn't it? 
And, and, and because of sin and because of death in the world, how, just how broken is our Christian imagination? And I, and I mean truly Christian imagination. Where we're not asking for sinful things or worldly things, but our imagination is taking us to God. How broken is it? And I thought maybe that one of the ways that we can kind of measure the brokenness of our Christian imagination is to ask ourselves this question. If we would have been at the wedding of Cana, and I want you to imagine yourself there for just a second, would you have went to Jesus and just made this kind of banal observation? Jesus, we're running out of wine. Like, would your Christian imagination allow you to maybe think or imagine that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is going to do something about it? Would you be like Mary? Or, or would you not do that? Would you be like, well, I guess, I guess we're at this wedding and, and we should just you know, be content with water because water's good for us after all? Or would, you, or would you have a truly Christian imagination where you could go to Jesus and you could say, Jesus, we're running out of wine. How broken is your Christian imagination? And if you're kind of saying to yourself, you know, I think my Christian imagination is a little bit broken, what is Paul inviting you to do? He's inviting you to consider just who God is. He's able, you know? He's able to do more than we just asked, which is an incredible thing to ask. He's able to do more than that. He's even able to do more than we can possibly imagine. Would you reimagine with me for a second your, your life? What does it mean, for example, what does it mean if you go to a funeral and Jesus is there? Where the resurrection is planted so deep in your heart and you looked at the dead body and you think, you know, I know Jesus is going to raise that body up. What does it mean? What does it mean when you go to the doctor and you're waiting for the results of this critical exam, this test that you had to give. And Jesus is there. What, what does it mean? What does it mean when you look at, you know, as a church, we look at ministry for the next year and Jesus is there. What does it mean that, that Jesus is at the wedding at Cana? You know? Can you, can you imagine that with me? That God is, is able to do immeasurably more than, than all we ask or even imagine. I'm not asking you to imagine away the realities of sin and death. I'm really not. But I am asking you to imagine a world where sin becomes righteousness in Jesus. I'm asking you to imagine a world where, where death becomes life in Jesus. I'm asking you to imagine a world where at, at the end of it all, Jesus is there to forgive us and, and proclaim not guilty. A world where God not only is able to do more than we ask or imagine, but is willing. 
Because how could he not be willing? Because he gave his only son for you. Will you pray with me? And I want to pray this morning and imagine with you that we're all on our spiritual knees. And I want to pray these petitions from the heart with you. Father, every person under heaven derives its name from you. And we are one in you because you are creator and redeemer and sanctifier. Father, I want to ask today that you would give us true power. In, in this world where so many other things are dwelling in our hearts, all the way from fear to the swirling darkness that surrounds us, I ask you that, that you would put in its place Christ. That Christ would truly dwell there by faith. Father, I, I also pray this morning that in a world where, where we are seeking so much knowledge and, and where ideologies and, and movements swirl around us, that, that we would be more than content to pursue the knowledge of your Son, Jesus, and how wide and long and deep and even unknowable is that love. And, and I further pray, Father, that we might have true spiritual fulfillment in recognizing all of these gifts that we have so richly in Christ. And finally, Father, we know that You are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And that You deserve our praise and our glory throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.